Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're here tonight. Appreciate so much you coming. I know that there are a lot of different places you could be tonight, but we appreciate so much your willingness to be here to be a part of our service. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a moment. Before we begin, we do want to take this opportunity again to welcome those who are visiting. Brother Billy made mention of Brother and Sister Gordon with us tonight, and we're glad that they're here. Brother Gordon is one of the elders at Luxahoma, and we appreciate him very well, or very much rather. He's got a great family and is very influential in the church, and we appreciate so much all of his service. Uh, he's been battling cancer for some time and very successfully battling cancer. And we're very grateful for that and grateful that all the prayers that have been gone up on that have gone up on his behalf have been answered. And so we continue to pray for him at this time. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we talk about our part in the body of Christ. The Bible talks about the fact that the church is the body of Christ. And the beauty of the body is that it is composed of different members. There's one body, but there are many, many members. And so we want to talk tonight about our part in the body of Christ. I want to begin our study tonight by first of all talking about our placement in the body of Christ. In order to appreciate what Paul is saying in chapter 12 about the body, we have to first understand our placement in the body. So how do we enter the body of Christ? What does the Bible say? How do we become members of the body of Christ? Well, Paul discusses that. Look, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. The Bible is pretty clear about how we become a part of the body of Christ. And there are some statements made by Paul and other writers that lend insight into how we become a part of this divine body. First, I want to call attention to the book of Christ. Now, in verse 13, Paul said, By one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Some have the idea that this is Holy Spirit baptism. The Holy Spirit has a part in our conversion. In the first century, the message was in men. Today, the message is in the Scriptures. It is the inspired Word of God. And so when we think about the book of Christ, that is, the work of the Spirit, you remember Jesus said, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. We have everything that we need to know about life and godliness, according to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. We have everything that we need to know about, it, about becoming a part of the body of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, seeing you, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. When we take the Spirit's message, what happens? It produces faith, doesn't it? You remember the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So, the Spirit's message reveals for us the one faith. In chapter 12, we have an enumeration of the spiritual gifts that were characteristic of the first century church. In chapter 13, Paul discusses the duration of these gifts. 
They would ultimately cease. They did cease the latter part of the first century. In chapter 14, he talks about the regulation of these gifts. Once God's word was completed, that is, once it was completed in the sense that we have the one faith, no need for the miraculous, no need for the Holy Spirit to work through men. So we talk about the book of Christ, and then secondly, think about being baptized into Christ. Know what Paul said. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Why do people need to be baptized? Well, two reasons. First, so that we can contact the blood of Christ. Jesus shed his blood on Calvary, John chapter 19, verse 34. The only way that we can appropriate that blood is by being baptized into Jesus Christ. So when we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy, as Peter said, the remission of sins. That is forgiveness, Acts 2.38. Our sins are said to be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. Jesus said that those who are baptized enjoy salvation, Mark 16, verse 16. So the Holy Spirit has provided for us the book of Christ. Now you'll never know what God wants you to do to become a child of God if you never open the Scriptures. Isaiah said many, many years ago, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Emphasis on reading and studying and meditating the truth of God. So there is the book of Christ, our baptism into Christ, and then we contact the blood of Christ. We are saved when we contact the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, Paul said, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. So we contact the blood of Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body. When we take the book of Christ, learn what God wants us to do, we're baptized into Christ, and we enter the body of Christ. Listen again to what Paul said, by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. What's the body? Well, Paul said he's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1, verse 18. The church and the body, synonymous, down in verse 27. Paul said, now you are the body of Christ. You could substitute the word church for body. does no harm to the text. And it could read, now you are the church of Christ and members individually. So, we enter the body of Christ. Why do we need to be a part of the body of Christ? Well, the Bible tells us that Christ is the Savior of the body. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. So we're baptized into Christ. We enter the body of Christ, wherein we enjoy all these great spiritual blessings. Those spiritual blessings spoken of by Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 3. So we enter the body of Christ. We're a part of this divine body. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he was writing to people that were a part of the church of God. They had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. He said they were called saints. They had been set apart from the world unto God. They had been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Now, what about our equality in this body? First, we talk about entering the body and then the equality that we have in Christ. Look again at what Paul said. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, 
where the slaves are free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. When we were baptized into Christ, we became a part of the body of Jesus. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul said that God has reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one, in one body unto God. There's a sense of equality in this divine body. How do I know that? Well, look at Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul talks about how we have been baptized into Christ. Those of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And he said it's in that context, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. He said, for you're all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, he said, you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So in Christ, we enjoy a spirit of equality. We're all one. We're all the same. We talk about some of the problems that we have in our world today. Prejudices and problems with people getting along and sometimes individuals thinking that they're better than others. Well, the way to solve that, preach the gospel. And let people know that when we become a part of the body of Christ, we're all the same. Now, I would grant we have differing roles and responsibilities, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But in Christ Jesus, when it comes to our spiritual blessings, we're all the same. We all enjoy that same blessed state of being in Christ and enjoying pardon, peace, the presence of God. We have the opportunity to pray to God. We have the promise of heaven, all these great blessings lavished upon us in Christ. So, our placement in the body. And by the way, God is the one that puts us in the body. We talk about entering the body and our equality in that body. I think it's helpful, I think it's helpful for us to understand that God is the one that takes us and puts us in this divine body. In Acts chapter 2, you remember when Peter preached that great sermon on Pentecost. Verse 41 says that some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. Verse 47 says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So God is the one that does the adding to this divine body. So what about our part in the body of Christ? Do we have a part? The answer is yes. Now, I want you to look with me, if you would. Look at verse 12 for just a moment. In verse 12, Paul said, As the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. The comparison here is to the human body and the body of Christ. The human body, one body, many members. The body of Christ, one divine body, but many members. Now, when we talk about the varying members that comprise the body of Christ, what we have to understand is that there is a part or place for every member. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says beginning in verse 14. He said, in fact, the body is not one member, but many. He said, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? 
But now, has got, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? And now indeed, or but now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Now, let me just pause here for a minute. I feel like I'm in a sauna tonight. I know Wednesday night, somebody said the air conditioning faded. Feels like it faded tonight. No fault of anyone, but I sure feel it. And I suspect you do too. I feel like I'm preaching in molasses or something. But nonetheless, we'll press on. I think I will. I had a buddy of mine, before we moved to Memphis, he said, listen, in Memphis, it's what they call sultry. Let me tell you what, tonight it's sultry. It's not just hot, it is really hot. So, the church, one, one church, one body, many members. By the same token, the human body, one body, but many members. When it comes to the human body, Every single part of the human body has a function, doesn't it? And sometimes there are certain parts of the human body that we may think we can get by without when in fact we need them, don't we? Sometimes you don't know how important certain body parts are until you lose them. Some body parts visible, some invisible, but all necessary, aren't they? Within the church, we talk about the church of Christ. You've got the one body, the one head being Jesus, and then all of these varying members. Members that have different talents or abilities, different functions within the body. Any one member greater than the other? No. Any one member more essential than the other? No. Think for a minute about the analogy that Paul uses here. He talks about the eye and then the ear, the hearing. How important is your eyesight? Would you trade your eyesight for your hearing or vice versa? How important is your hand? What about your arm, your legs? All of these, what we would consider to be essential to the overall well-being of the human body. So when we talk about our place, our part in the body, 
We need to understand first, there is mutual cooperation. Within my human body, my body parts, God made these body parts so that they could function together, so that they could cooperate one with another, didn't he? For example, if I want to open a door, then it involves my brain sending impulses to my arm, to my hand. It involves my arm and hand opening that door, doesn't it? And my fingers. Well, that's just one example. If you're going to lift something very, very heavy, it might involve your arms, your hands, your legs, your back. All of these body parts essential. By the same token, when we talk about the body of Christ, what God intended was for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to cooperate, to work together, just like the human body, just like my hand and arm work together. My vision, my hearing works together. By the same token, God intends for us to work together. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, Luke said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. One of the things that Luke tells us is that there was this cooperative spirit to assist those who had benevolent needs. It took a number of people working together to make this happen. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? We talk about the body of Christ and those of us who belong to the body of Christ working together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look if, look if you would, listen to what Paul said. Turn back to chapter 3 for just a moment. In chapter 3, Paul asked this question, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Now listen to what he says, verse 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. You see the cooperation there? You've got Paul and Apollos working in tandem. And that's just one example. I think about the missionary endeavors of Paul and Barnabas, and then later Barnabas and John Mark and Paul and Silas. And you think about how they work together and then you can read, for example, Romans chapter 16. The various women that labored in the church, they worked together, didn't they? So there is this cohesive spirit. There's this desire to work in harmony with one another. In a, in a corporation. You've got someone at the top. You've got a board, and then you've got a CEO, a CFO, and you've got varying ranks within that corporation. Every single person, all the way down to the person that sweeps the floors, is important. Think about the military for a, for a moment. In the military, you have generals. You've got colonels and majors and captains and sergeants and privates. Do you need all those men and women working together? Yes, you do. You've got some people that are on the front line of battle. 
And so they're all working together for a common goal, a common cause. That's what we're doing as members of the body of Christ. We're working together. Now, if you go back and look at chapter 12 again, not only is there mutual cooperation, but there is mutual care in the body. Listen to what Paul said, verse 25. He said that there should be no schism, division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The human body. If you were to leave here tonight and go home and begin maybe working out in your shop or working in your kitchen, and let's just say for the sake of illustration, you take a hammer out. And then you take a nail, and you're going to drive that nail into a, maybe a two-by-four, or maybe you're going to hang something on the wall. And you miss the nail and hit, your, and hit your finger. What's the first thing you're going to do? If you hit your finger, is that the only thing that's going to be affected? Let me tell you what, the tongue will be affected immediately, right off the bat. And then, in all probability, your other hand's going to grab this one and you're going to begin walking around, screaming and praying that the pain will subside. And it might be the case, you begin pacing back and forth. And your brain is sending those impulses. And so, what happens? You've got several members working in tandem when that one piece of the body is hurt. By the same token, is there not mutual care within the body of Christ? Do we not assist and care for one another? Yes. Listen again to what Paul said. He said, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12? How we weep with those that weep, we rejoice with those that rejoice. Somebody's suffering, we suffer with them. Somebody's honored, we rejoice with them. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. In Galatians chapter 6, at verse 2, Paul said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Here's somebody who's hurting. They're discouraged. Maybe they've lost a loved one. Maybe they have been fighting some type of disease or illness, some debilitating problem for a period of time. And various members within the church collectively try to assist, encourage, help share the load. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 of Galatians chapter 6, Paul said, As we have opportunity... He said, let us do good unto all men. Note the plural there. Let us. He's writing to the churches of Galatia. And he's saying, let us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially those who are of, of the household of faith. So I think about the various members in the first century that would assist financially those who needed assistance. Is that not what we do as a part of the body of Christ? Yes. 
So there is this mutual cooperation and care within the body. Now, there's a third thing very quickly. What about our purpose? Do we have a purpose in the body of Christ? God's put us in the body, and we have a specific place or part in that body. But what about our purpose? Again, Paul said, there is one body, but many members. The human body, again, one body, many members. The members in the human body have various roles and responsibilities, don't they? The hand, the arm, the leg, the foot, the fingers. Every single body part is essential. If you don't think that's the case, go home tonight and tie your hand behind your back and try to open a can. Try to open a drink. Or for that matter, take your thumb, tape it down, and try to use four fingers to do certain things. Again, open a can. Open a bottle of Coke or Sprite or whatever. All the body parts have a function, don't they? Now, within the church, we talk about the fact that the church is comprised of many, many members. And all of us have our role, we have our place within the body, don't we? There are no big I's and little U's in the body of Christ. I would grant that there are some roles and responsibilities that are more vo that are more visible than others. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are more important. For example, let's just take the human body for a moment. There are things that visibly we can see. We can see our hands, our arms, our legs, our ears, our eyes, and those are important. But there are some invisible organs that are just as important, aren't they? What about your heart? Do you need your heart? That little organ that's a muscle that's constantly pumping blood, don't you need that? What about your stomach? That digestive tract, your colon, your kidneys, all of these invisible parts of the human body are essential. You need them by the same token. There are certain roles and responsibilities in the church that sometimes people might get the idea, well, they're more important, or they have a bigger job than I. But that's not the case, is it? Think about all of the various works that go on within a congregation. Think about, think about our worship service. And some of the things that are necessary for us to meet together on Sunday and Wednesday. Somebody needs to clean the building, don't they? Somebody has to wash the windows. Somebody has to make sure that the bathrooms are clean. Somebody has to prepare communion, don't they? Somebody else has to get the announcements together. Somebody else has to agree to 
gather certain individuals together to wait on the Lord's table. We've got to have a song leader. We've got to have Bible classes taught by competent individuals. But in the worship service, we come together, and before we ever get here, somebody's cleaned the building. The air's been turned on in the summertime. The heat's been turned on in the winter. Communion's been made. Floors have been swept. A lot of things have taken place, haven't they? The people that have engaged in those works are important. And all I'm saying to you is, whatever your task is, it is important. You have a job to do. All God is saying to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is, whatever, whatever part or place you have in the body, fulfill your role. Do it. Now, as we get older, when we grow older, the human body does what? It slows down, doesn't it? And so my body parts don't work as well as they once did in the past, do they? Sometimes the body doesn't want to function as well as it once did. Sometimes we are limited in what we can do. So, what would God have us to do? Please listen very carefully. Do what you can. Do what you can. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus said on one occasion about a lady, she has done what she could. Look, all the Lord's asking is for you to do what you can. Do your part. What are some things that we can do? We talk about our roles, our responsibilities, our purpose in the body of Christ. I understand we have elders, and they oversee. They watch for our souls, Hebrews 13, 17. We have deacons that engage in specific tasks, and they meet the criteria set forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. They have very specific assignments, and they do those assignments, and the church functions without a hitch. We have a song leader. We have teachers. We have individuals that visit on a regular basis. Those who are sick, those who are hurting, those who are shut in. We have some that send cards. Some make telephone calls. Some send text. All I'm saying is, look, there's something for everybody. You've got your work, I've got my work. What we have to do is find our niche in the body and then just get busy. But we have to work together, just like the human body has to work together. The church, if it's going to be a well-oiled machine, has to work together. We can't work against one another, we've got to work together. The word fellowship carries with it the idea of togetherness, of one accord. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to work together. We blend our talents, our abilities together, and we, we get busy. I want to close by saying this. Every single one of us, all of us, whether young or old, no matter what our background, no matter what our talent or ability might be, we all have a purpose 
And we all have something that we can contribute to the body of Christ. And what I would hope is that when you leave here tonight, you leave here realizing that whatever you're doing, if you're out visiting, if you're out encouraging, if you're sending texts, if you're sending cards, whatever, you do the very best you can do, you do it day in, day out. And you do it with pride. And you realize that you've got a job to do. God has blessed you with the ability to do that. And do it. Be the best at what you do. If you'll do that, the church will go forward. I didn't mention the fact that some folks are good at teaching one-on-one. Some are not so good at teaching one-on-one. But you know what? You don't have to teach one-on-one to be a soul winner, do you? All you've got to do, pick up a CD, pick up a tract, encourage somebody to take a Bible correspondence course, or if you can't do that, talk to one of the elders, talk to myself or Jared or somebody. We'll, we'll talk to them. We'll teach them. But we all have a part, and we can all work together. Won't you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for this day, for our many blessings. We're thankful for your love and care. We're grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the church. Help us to fulfill our roles and responsibilities in the church. Help us to recognize that whatever we do is important. And help us to the best of our ability to advance your cause in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Simply do what they did in Corinth. They heard the gospel, they believed it, they were baptized, Acts chapter 18, verse 8. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful, maybe for whatever reason you've left the church and you want to come home. I want you to know that God will be happy to have you back. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you stand as we sing?